we've got a devilicious little Kickstarter here for all you geeks and ghouls for the Halloween season. Throwing Horns. It's a light RPG of devils, demons, and metal. You play a literal band of demons touring the best and worst venues in hell. The promoter, or aka the GM, will guide you on the tour and throw encounters in your path, which you can overcome in the most metal ways possible. Use head-banging tunes, your demonic commanding presence, or just good old-fashioned violence to beat encounters and continue. This is a Kickstarter from a friend of ours that only has through the month of October to raise its funds, so definitely go to throwinghornsrpg.com or just hit up the link on our homepage at gypodcast.com. Donate, get some extra stuff if you reach the right tier of donation, and keep on throwing them horns. The views and opinions expressed on Smack My Pitch Up are those of the panelists and not those of GUI Network, their sponsors, or any of the properties mentioned. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is rated R for violence, language, and nudity. Well, it's a podcast, so you won't see the nudity. I just do it to make the guest uncomfortable. In a world gone mad with unnecessary reboots, remakes, and sequels, only one podcast has the guts to make even worse. This is Smack My Pitch Up. Hello, geeks, and welcome to another amazing episode of Smack My Pitch Up, the podcast that reboots, remakes, reimagines, sequels, sidequels, and adapts some of your favorite and least favorite properties from TV, film, and what have you. And tonight, in honor of spooky season, we're getting into the Stephen King universe with a uh, reboot, remake, reimagining of the film slash uh, story, Needful Things. And uh, here with me to help me dig deep into the Stephen King verse is a uh, guest that has done Stephen King here on Smack My Pitch Up before, a uh, regular contributor to us and several of the other shows on the network. We got Mike Reiser here. Hey guys, how's it going? We're going to take it old school Stephen King this time. Absolutely. I'm excited to dig into this one. I hadn't seen Needful Things for years until uh, watching it to get ready for this episode. And I got to say, it's not the greatest Stephen King movie, but it's by far not the worst. No, that's absolutely where I'd rank it in both terms of the novel and the film. It's a very interesting idea, mm-hmm. perhaps a little too over the top with the execution in uh, many ways. Uh, and it ends up scrapping its menace for the ridiculousness very, very late in both the book and the film. The turn is pretty sudden in the movie. I'm not familiar terribly with the story. The book does the same sharp turn, okay. too. Yeah, it's a lot. Now, first off, it's a great casting for the owner of the shop Needful Things. Uh, Max von Sydow. Yeah, you can't do much better than no. a legendary actor with decades of screen experience. And going from trying to exercise demons from people to being the devil is a pretty <laughs> nice little turn there. And, spoiler. Yeah, so spoiler, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, if you haven't, like any of the shows, the episodes we do of this show, it's more fun if you actually know the property. But if, if not, just go on this little journey with us, won't you? Mm-hmm. The storyline is pretty timeless this this is very much a classic story of you know um like very faustian kind of approach to to the story of basically this guy moves into castle rock new england town and has a little junk shop and everybody finds a thing that's like irresistible to them and they have to basically trade favors for the item that they want yeah and all of them come they're gifts with strings attached these things are available very very cheap to you you want a mickey mantle baseball card That'll be 95 cents, plus a little favor for mm-hmm. the shop owner. It's like that mobster kind of thing. It's like, I'll do this for you right now, but one day I'm going to ask you for a favor, and uh, you're going to have to pay up. Yep. And in what seems great to the, the customers of the store early on in both the novel and the film, the, the price to pay isn't really very much. You just have to do a little prank on somebody. It's going to be kind of funny, actually. Sure. And then that, of course, snowballs into an unstoppable force of just pure anarchy. Yeah, dominoes falling and the like. But, like, you didn't know that when you were just throwing mud at somebody's house. That's funny. Yeah, exactly. Why would that be that big a deal or taping up fake citations around somebody's exactly. house? That's a fun little game until people end up getting murdered and churches explode. Yeah. That's the, 
it's such an unbelievable hard turn. And I would say if you are unfamiliar with Needful Things, I believe it's on Hulu right now. Yes. I know there was a uh, a streaming site for videos, like kind of like the boob tube of the internet, as it were, that I was able to find it for free as well. So that might be an option for it's you. It's funny how uh, you can find a lot of things on that site yeah, like it's, that. Yeah, it's weird how that happens sometimes. <laughs> but uh, it is definitely watchable. I did not have a bad time reviewing this, but it's it's a pretty simple. For Stephen King, it's a pretty se- simple setup of yes. a story. It's not nearly as complicated as some of his other uh, stories go, but it is interesting to see the interconnectivity of people's actions. That's really where it gets kind of complicated, where it's got almost this unintentional strangers on a train kind of thing going, where people are doing things to try to incite issues with two people, but they're not involved in the incident, so they can't really pin down where all this is coming from, who's the actual aggressor. Yeah, that's the key theme of it. It's like many of his stories takes place in a small New England town where everybody knows each other and it's been that way forever. And it's about the ties that hold us together that we're always there and kind of fraying beneath the surface. And it takes one antagonist to bring it out and to like force the differences apart in a huge way that will mm-hmm. put all of the people at each other's throats. Yep. And I think... There's a line in the movie, at least, that really kind of informs the conversation about why he's doing this. And the whole point is that he says he can't work miracles. He's asked, you know, why don't you just, like, murk these people? Just fucking kill them if it's, that's your M.O. And he's like, I can't do that. That's not within his power. He has to manipulate people. He's the master manipulator. He's, he's getting people to turn on each other and do his dirty work for him. That's, that's the why it's so evil is he's getting other people to turn on each people to turn on each other without really recognizing why. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful because it works to on two levels, the horror there on the one hand, the people are completely unable to resist their own greed. They know they shouldn't do this. If you're getting a Mickey Mantle card for 95 cents, that's a bad deal for you. You just don't know it yet. Yep. How? Uh, but it is, and you recognize that, but you're unable to stop it. It's a story about addiction in that way. But then again, on the other hand, it's also terrifying to watch like just how quickly we can be set against each other and how quickly we'll be ready to, as you mentioned, blow up each other's churches. Yep. And the fun parallel, and I think I will dig into this a little bit with kind of like my tonal shifts in this, is that we see a lot of that kind of dynamic on social media nowadays. And I think that parallel is really interesting revisiting this movie for the first time since, you know, probably the 90s or early 2000s. Technology has progressed so much since the last time I saw this that to draw those parallels was pretty crystal clear for me now. Uh, and, and this movie was done in 93. This was before that was even a conversation. There wasn't such a thing as social media then. Exactly. Back then you wanted to watch like two housewives go at it destroy somebody's hard linen work that they put outside that'll set them at each other's throats nowadays all it takes is just tell one youtuber that another youtuber said something mean let a makeup artist know that another influencer said something catty Mm -hmm. and it's on or even within your own little realm of social media whether it be like political stances religious stances or even something as stupid as is a hot dog a sandwich Oh, be, that'll bring it out. That will bring it out. Or the, the pineapple on pizza debate. I've seen people go like to, you know, social media blows over that where it starts as funny and then gets really weirdly serious about it. So it doesn't take anything. No, not not these days. It doesn't. No. And I, I feel like the that's what this movie is really tapping into. So I'm interested to see kind of what we do to approach uh, this in a, in a modern take or at least a, a different kind of nuanced approach to this. Now, uh, for your plot, is there any kind of major changes you're doing to your plot here? Oh, yeah. I'm planning to take this thing. uh, We're going to use the bones of the outline, but I'm planning to make this thing a modern day techno thriller horror. Okay. Yep. Instead of a small town in Maine, I kind of think it needs to like be in a Silicon Valley or at least high tech city at this point. Okay. Yeah. You're doing a much larger population affected Mm -hmm. by this. Uh, The effects of the... uh, agreements made are probably affecting a lot more people. Yeah, because these days it feels like it would be weird. I guess there are maybe some rural small towns out there where everybody knows each other. The little kids still play baseball together, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel like that to me anyway. Um, it's a, a world I never look into. Sure. But boy, do I sure see East Coast megalopolis cities up close and personal all the time. Yeah. So just to place it in that kind of a situation yep. or some kind of at least 
tech savvy yeah. city. Okay. Now, yep. as far as the tonal shift, I mean, that kind of informs it with the, like a tech noir kind of thriller horror, mm-hmm. definitely. But are you uh, keeping you the basic bones of your keeping, though? Yeah, absolutely. I okay. think you still need a strong central devil figure at the heart of the narrative who can ins- figure out quickly what your characters want and what sort of horrible deal they'll have to make to get it. Okay. Yep. I just don't know that it would necessarily still be in an antique store since we're taking it digital. But I do think that there's a lot of room to play with with the things that people like. Set this thing in the whole world of influencers and online Silicon Valley startup hustlers. Mm -hmm. And people are going to want things rather than like an actual toy horse that tells you what the outcome of a horse race is going to be, which is super valuable if you're trying to gamble and make a bunch of money that way, as Mm -hmm. happens in the film. Um, I could see uh, influencers going nuts for somebody who promises them a million likes by Tuesday or a million views. Yeah. Or, you know, somebody crushing it at their angel investor round for their bro startup. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) so that's what we would do here okay i'm definitely going to be utilizing social media as well in my plot progression but i'm not going to be focusing so much on it being uh that's going to be used for the actual like pranks so much as not being part of the actual uh agreements that are made as far as like there's still going to be an antique store but it's going to be more of like nobody really goes in anymore because he does most of the stuff online now because and so we ended up moving to a small town because the rent's cheaper and to, you know, move from, from, you know, Sandusky, Ohio, I think it was in the <laughs> actual like movie, but, or move from a bigger city to where the rents were getting too expensive to, for the money that he was actually making. It was easier to just like settle down in a smaller town where he could, you know, storefront space was cheap. He, it was in New England area where he could go like antiquing on the weekends to find cool stuff or some kind of excuse where it sounds like just an old retiree like little side job thing. Um, And that's the setup. But what I'm more instigating the story with now is that there is a mayoral race that's occurring within the town. And so you take the uh, glorified shoe salesman character from the original, uh, which was uh, Danforth Keaton, the third, they call him Buster as in Buster Keaton. He does not like that. Does not like that one bit. You take that character, and instead of a shoe salesman, you make him, like, a really crooked mayor. And a lot of the beats in the movie don't change. You know, he, he ended up he embezzling money from the city. You can have that, and it makes more sense as a mayor as opposed to the shoe guy. Makes less sense. So, yeah. Um, but then you also have him basically creating—he's been the mayor forever. Uh, he kind of convinces uh, somebody else within the— uh, city i'm thinking the sheriff to run for office and so these guys that have been kind of a not fans of each other per se but they are part of the same like community they are kind of on the same side of the law to some degrees have to have a kind of a begrudging working relationship with each other end up rumors start surrounding about him basically turning on him and running against him for mayor without him even really knowing whether he's going to do it or not and it building this additional animosity. And then you can have the conversation about, uh, you know, polarized community within the political spectrum a little bit more. And uh, that, I think, would relate it to modern day a little bit better than, uh, than it did just rewatching the 93 version. And that all the, like, pranks, whether it be social media or any kind of physical stuff, is just stoking the polarization and the fires of this like political like rivalry that's building within this town and it's creating hard sides on either side people that are backing up the long-standing mayor people backing up the sheriff it's creating a fissure within the law of the city and uh, it creates basically like a gang war <laughs> that and you see all these beats leading up to we're very familiar with from social media, from the political environment that we're in right now in this country. And then it just takes it that one like gonzo Stephen King step further to where people are like lighting their houses on fire and, and like, and murdering each other in the street. And it becomes an all out just bloodbath throughout the the town. Yeah, absolutely. This was like, from that era, Stephen King delivered us towns getting destroyed over and over, and that has to be the finale. It does. It wouldn't be true to the property if it weren't. <laughs> right? You have to have that. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm doing it similarly with more technology being utilized, but also kind of incorporating a, a political kind of conversation as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. It, it overcomes one of the obstacles of back in that day of like, it's one of those movies where things could be solved very, very quickly with cell phones and you wouldn't get away with half the pranks of the original when people have ring cameras on their houses. Right. Just wouldn't work. <laughs> so we got to take it online, y'all. Sorry. Yeah. Could you imagine like there's the, the, uh, turkey poop that gets thrown on the sh- fresh sheets and they just look and they're like i was a fucking kid yeah. goddamn kids it would get and then, eight million views on youtube everybody would comment on it on local forums next door and then it would be over yeah you it would be the neighborhood chat and facebook it that wouldn't would be spiral like, out of control like, yeah, oh, actually given facebook in neighborhoods it probably would spiral would out of control <laughs> and draw in hundreds of people who were not even participants that's kind of what i'm interested in with you being the guest here is that we are actually neighbors like we live like a block from yep. each other now which is wonderful but additionally we're also talking about a storyline that it's entirely about the like connective tissues of a small community which the area of richmond that we live in more so than a good portion of the city, I'd say, still has that degree of like community within yeah. the area. It really is. It's become a tale of two cities. The You have the in-person and then the online. It's fascinating where we live because you can walk down the street here on a sunny afternoon. Someone will offer you a beer. You'll see five or six of your friends. It's really sort of that old school, magical Americana thing. Mm-hmm. But then if you go on the internet, boy, it is not. No. <laughs> <laughs> There's... People are incredibly hostile there. There's a lot of different uh, communities within this community, and some get along with each other, some do not. Yes, that's correct. And the thing (laughs) is, with it being just a neighborhood when you're walking around, you're just part of the neighborhood. There isn't that infighting based on, like, subject matter about, you know, whether it be gentrification or, like, that building needs to be torn down because it's, like, people are sleeping at it or it's, like, making rats come around the neighborhood or whatever, whatever it is. I use the example this way. You're doing a little carpentry this weekend. You walk out into the middle of the street. Someone will say, sure, you can borrow my saw. Also, give me a call if you need any help holding something up. If you go on the internet and ask around if anyone's got a saw to borrow, oh boy, they're going to tell you 30 reasons why you are a problem asking for that saw. (laughs) That's about right. So that is definitely something that can very easily be incorporated into the story of Needful Things. So, uh, before we wax poetic all the way through this thing uh, without getting into the casting, uh, who is your director for your serious take? Now, for those unfamiliar, how we do this is each one of us takes the time to discuss how we think it would actually work as a reboot or remake, reimagining, what have you. And then we both do what we call a remix version where it's just kind of balls to the wall. Just do whatever you want with it. Tonal shifts. Um, completely dismantle the actual property and make it into something that has the barest resemblance to its original and just have a ton of fun with it. Yeah. We're going to ruin it at the end. It's uh, just like Stephen King ruins the town. Exactly. (laughs) We are ruining this movie like Stephen King ruins Castle Rock. Yes, absolutely. So for your director, which oftentimes is what informs the tonal, Mm -hmm. um, the tonality of the, of our versions, who do you have for your real take? I was thinking this needs a cold clinical eye, either the Sam Mendes of American Beauty eye on suburbia and sort of the the way that that looked and felt or uh, David Fincher, because he's already excelled at making the Bay Area and Silicon Valley look creepy as hell in Zodiac. And I was especially impressed with like. Uh, You usually think of San Francisco as sort of sunnier or foggier or moodier, dirty, hairy city. But the Hollow Man remake uh, reminded me it's a great setting for, um, sorry, Invisible Man. Um, It reminded me it's a great setting for horror. It really is. Yeah. I am really sad for the Invisible Man that it happened right at the beginning of COVID because that, I think, if it just was in any normal time, period of time on release, it would have gotten a lot more drive behind it. Oh, absolutely. And it's an incredible film. If you're a fan of horror, go check it out. Definitely. So uh, so you're thinking Fincher or who was the other? Sam Mendes, American Beauty, because we got to look at the people with an unflinching, cruel eye. Okay. I I went a slightly different direction with this where I did want to have kind of like the uh, conversation of, you know, that there's something darker underneath the thin veneer of community, which is what Needful Things really kind of breaks into a little bit. And you get kind of notes of that in a number of films by these, uh, by these directors. Uh, the Coen brothers is the way that I went. Oh yes. You're looking at Fargo as far as like <laughs> somebody breaking bad, you know, 
then you've got, of course, like the Lady Killers, which is an underappreciated film of theirs, where there's also this weird amalgamation of people that are thrown together due to a situation. And you're going to have aspects of that in this storyline as well. And it's also deeply, deeply funny. Um, I think the thing that's missing from the 90s film of Needful Things is any sense of humor or wit whatsoever. It is an oppressively dreadful atmosphere in that thing. There are moments in the film where I feel they're trying to yeah they try but it doesn't happen it doesn't land though and there's amazingly funny lines in needful things the the movie and it's just delivered wrong or it's just not set up right for it to be delivered as a joke it the trailer has some of those lines and in the trailer you're like okay this looks whimsical as shit like this is gonna (laughs) be a fun time and then you watch the movie and in the actual scene it just lands so flat yeah just does not hit the Coen brothers, I think, would be able to have that like, dark sensibility with that sense of humor. Uh, just looking at stuff like No Country for Old Men, where that's a dark film. I mean, that's a really dark film, but it's also very funny. Yes. Truly funny moments in there. And I thought it would be so much fun to have that dark sense of humor uh, really playing with these characters and really being able to create dimension for all these characters without spending a whole lot of time on backstory and explanation. So Yeah, it should be a corollary to the rule about making a deal with the devil that if you make a deal with the devil, in addition to it being terrible, it should also be fun. Right. I'm thinking of like those BMW ads where Gary Oldman played the devil and they had to be raced against. I uh, would be remiss if I didn't also mention, I, I meant to mention this earlier, that If you are unfamiliar with Needful Things from the movie, you might be familiar with it from an episode of Rick and Morty where they fully did. Oh, that's right. A Needful (laughs) Things like story arc in one of the episodes where it got called out as a need. Are you doing a Needful Things? You're doing a Needful Things and calls him out. Wait, you're the devil, aren't you? Come on. You're the devil and fully calls him out. It's amazing. Um but so, yeah, Coen Brothers for me. So um, if you want to go down your casting list for your real take, and then I'll take my, my shot after your, you go through. Sure, your... I'm happy to share what, what I've done to each character and what we're doing. Um, and since I'm moving this thing to Silicon Valley in the information age, um, Leland Gaunt is no longer an old antiques dealer. He's got to be something like the Elizabeth Holmes woman from Theranos. And I think there's only one person who could bring that to life. The ultimate villain herself, Harley Quinn, Miss Margot Robbie. (laughs) I mean, what's scarier than like a brilliant, chilling, blonde young lady who can manipulate you in ways you never even saw possible? Um, I think that's absolutely perfect for this sort of techno world and have her as a tech impresario. Nice. Even if it's over an empire of nothing. Uh, I think that would be very, very interesting. Um, And of course, uh, since it requires some old school grit for the main sheriff character, even if we move him out there and make him a regulator, federal agent, you name it, whatever, the guy who can get to the bottom of all of this, none other than Mr. Walt Goggins. Yes, I love him so much. And he can play, it's weird, he plays the same character almost in everything that he does, but it's the spectrum of the same character. He Even when he played like the, uh, transgendered prostitute in Sons of Anarchy. Venus and, Van Damme. Yeah, and the character that he played in The Hateful Eight. There is very specific commonalities like yes. between those two characters, but they're played, and they're played similarly, but they're clearly different, not just because of like the the makeup or what what have you. Like They're definitely different, but they're on that, that spinning wheel of Walter Goggins, or Walton Goggins, yeah. Yep, he knows what he's doing quite well and is always incredibly competent. Um, so then of course we have like that character's girlfriend who's essential to it. And it's always my pet peeve to see the old man with like the 20 year old girlfriend as too often occurs. So why not do a reunion with one of his justified stars, either Natalie Z or Joel Carter. Everybody seems to like when that happens on the unicorn. So nice. And I have not yet checked out the unicorn. I really do need to, I've heard that it's, uh, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's now now streaming on a couple of different services, nice. so you can catch up to it. Um, and then, of course, Keaton, as you mentioned earlier, the erstwhile shoe salesman, town joke, whatever you want to call him. Um, since this is Silicon Valley, there's uh, this character absolutely has to be some sort of tech douchebag, either yeah. with tons of money and no ideas, or tons of ideas and no money. And I was thinking, who better to play that role than Tim Heidecker? <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh, now, we could do that very well. Exactly. Hear me out. The man uh, not only just does like the weird surrealistic comedy, but he's also had some very good playing at straight roles in horror movies, most recently in Us. 
Oh, right. Yep. Yeah. And uh, since, of course, we're going to Silicon Valley, the uh, neighbor ladies who are going to fight, it's no longer going to be a battle between housewives. It's got to be the battle of the influencers. We're going to have Zendaya as a up and coming <laughs> as an up and coming YouTube makeup artist. Yes. star Going to the mattresses with travel blogger Samara Weaving. Wow. OK. I inf- oh, man, the influencers was such a deft like choice for that for this version to that's perfect and i how easy is it to get two influencers to get mad at each other you were saying earlier that it just yeah if it's a day that ends in why one of them's going to be mad at another one and it's nothing to exploit that man (laughs) i can just imagine whoever ends up dying last between the two of them because they die about the same time in the movie yeah but one you just have them last a little bit longer so they can selfie the like murder pile that they're in (laughs) and send it before passing on yeah it's beautiful ground for satire yeah absolutely (laughs) i mean we've already seen enough of weirdness in like the real world with this of like the oh it's just a prank bro now i'm in the suicide forest what a prank Oh, I think that's a dead body with like whichever Paul brother it was that oh, did right. that. Yeah. <laughs> and also how gruesome social media can can turn on you. They were there was the dude that like killed the influencer that he followed on Instagram, I believe, and then there was a live stream of him like I think bringing the head back with him. Yeah, it's a super creepy world out there. Yeah. Yeah, I do recall seeing that live streamed murder at some point oh. on the internet. Do not Google it if you're sensitive. No, Um, no. Yeah. But yeah, no, there's just even like the pettiness of it. It's it's continuous and ongoing. Yeah. The sniping that occurs. (laughs) Everybody's competing for, I guess, the same set of eyeballs in the same position in the algorithm. And the question becomes, what would you do to get ahead in the algorithm? Uh, Just with modern day, uh, a lot of people would be just about anything. The answer is just about anything. Yeah, exactly. So... (laughs) Your needful thing is likes on your social media platform. So uh, who else do you got on here? We've got Keaton covered, uh, Nettie and Wilma. Do you you have the sheriff? You've got Leland. Uh, is that all you, all you have for your mm-hmm. casting? Okay. Um, I did all of those people, and then I also did Brian, the young kid. Yeah, he's well. essential to the film, et cetera. You sure? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So my casting uh, is I decided for Coen Brothers, they are so known for having a lot of the same repeat offenders in their movies and it's enjoyed. I genuinely enjoy knowing that, you know, that you're going to get, uh, you know, John Goodman in there, or you're going to get, you know, all the regular returning characters in Coen brothers. They know how to do a Coen brothers movie. So they nail it. And I wanted this to be the same. So there's going to be a lot of very Coen-esque, uh, casting here. And for Leland Gaunt, the devil himself, I thought th- there wasn't really even a choice here. It had to be this actor, considering it was uh, Max von Sydow in the film version, and he had that... He underplayed the like German kind of accent a little bit. It was a little bit softer in, in this film than some others, but I wanted to kind of pay homage to that as well in this film, and I love Peter Stormar, um, Stormare. If you know him from Fargo, Big Lebowski, and also played the devil in Constantine. So this would be the second <laughs> time that he's played the devil. And uh, you know, may have known him as the one that's like uh, one of the nihilists in, uh, in the Big Lebowski. So he already believes in nothing. He believes in nothing. And also in Fargo, he was the psychopath that like fed everybody to the, uh, to the wood chipper. Mm-hmm. So uh, he's incredibly funny in a very subtle way. Oftentimes he doesn't have to go big to be funny and he, he can do it with a look. Uh, he can also be intense and terrifying when need be. So I think in the, in Coen brothers world, that would be a really fun role for him to play around in. Then for his, uh, competition, the, the sheriff, the person that's trying to bring, bring him down. You want somebody that can be likable, that you understand why he's a small town sheriff. Everybody gets along with him. He, he, has settled down in the town. He's happy, but he also can get fucking, he can get down and get stuff taken care of if need be. Uh, Ed Harris was a great choice for the original film. I thought J.K. Simmons would do an exceptional job in that role. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He's, I mean, you look at him from like the dad in Juno, then to Whiplash. The talk about Whiplash uh, in just his total change in character in the way he held himself, how he comes off. J. Jonah Jameson is a, a, a totally different move as well. 
he would have so much fun in this role. He's also been in a bunch of uh, Coen Brothers stuff, Lady Killers, Burn After Reading. He was in True Grit. He would absolutely have so much fun in the role as the sheriff. Then we're moving on to his girlfriend, or I guess fiance at some point in the film, uh, who is a diner waitress. She's independent enough. She knows what she wants. She's not, you know, the woman that needs to be saved necessarily. She she's not just the girlfriend in the original, and I feel like that's got to be kind of even more leaned into uh, in this version as well. So I went by Miss Independent herself from The Incredibles, and then also uh, has been in a number of uh, Coen Brothers films as well. Holly Hunter. Oh yes, and also thinking about you know age wise, I also hate when there's like the twenty year old girlfriend as well. Yeah, it's, a, it's so cliched and played out at this point, and it doesn't do anything for the story. No, it's just that I think Hollywood's learning a lot of lessons right now. Uh, whether as far as casting goes, as far as being a little bit more uh, inclusive with you know casting uh, people of color and women that are older than thirty <laughs> in in these roles. You, 30 is not the cutoff anymore. The, there are women in Hollywood that are aging like fine wine that are in their 50s and 60s that can still kick ass and take... Shalise Theron just started becoming an action hero at like 50. Yeah. So <laughs> Post babies and everything. Post babies. So yeah, it's wide open. So you don't need the 20-year-old girlfriend anymore because you don't want to cast an older actress. The older actresses are here and they're sticking around. And so use them. You know, they're, they're fantastic. So Holly Hunter is being one of those as well. I adore Holly Hunter. Uh, she would do a fantastic job and would play it more like the one that will talk shit right back. Will, don't take no guff, you know. And um, in those nuanced moments with uh, Leland where she's kind of being cast under his spell, she is a good enough actress that she's going to be able to, you're going to be able to see that transition from the st- strong-minded woman to the one that's kind of being uh, kind of hypnotized almost. Right. It, it it takes a lot to see that battle between God and the devil happening at the same time in mm-hmm. everybody's eyes. Yeah. So you, you and that's why I think also Coen brothers with getting their returning cast of characters are going to know how to work with the directors to get that that subtle nuance down. Yeah, they just already right. proved with Miller's Crossing they can handle moral complexity. Oh, definitely. Oh, super underrated too. Miller's Crossing is so good. And uh, uh somebody from I but yeah, I believe was in Miller's Crossing is yeah is for Dan Forth Keaton III, or Buster, as he's referred to oftentimes, you gotta get John Goodman in there. (laughs) And talk about a a guy that can play bigger than life, can play like the asshole, uh, con man, uh, self-important dude, and he'll be playing the mayor in in this version of it. And I think him as like the used car salesman, small town mayor kind of character, he would have just the most fun in that role. And he's played characters... Similar to that, like Miller's Crossing, I think his character was definitely like there was a line that got crossed and then he went off and became this like monster. Yeah. And uh, then you've got his, his Cyclops character he played in No Brother Where Art Thou, where he was like a, a con man. He was, uh, he was a schemer. You know, you Hell, can... even in The Big Lebowski, he's trying to let his best impulses of friendship win out over his worst impulses of chaos. Right. And so you can see moments of that although ultimately uh danforth keaton is not really a redeemable character no he's a piece of shit the only redemption at the end of the f- movie against spoilers is that he like kamikaze bombs the devil <laughs> which by the way <laughs> I, I would love to be in the writer's room uh because stephen king didn't write the script for this the writer's room when they're coming up like fuck oh what do we do vest full of dynamite yep that's and, and he tackles the devil into the shop done man like it's such a just fuck it we ran out of ideas kind of move yeah back then it was like i i even think an audience would have put up with like the king ending which is like needful things opens in another town right yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) you don't have to kill him no but also and it's such a like unnecessary ending too because then he just gets up and walks out and it's like yep well that sucked anyway i'm (laughs) off by the way you guys gonna get married and uh your grandkid's gonna be a monster and i'm gonna make sure of it and uh yeah we're gonna make a lot of bangs together make some kind of explosions uh reference basically like you didn't win like your town is in rubble yeah and uh i'm fine and i'm gonna go continue to like ruin people's lives peace there is no happy ending at the end of this movie 
Uh, now we got onto the the ladies, the the bickering ladies. We've got Nettie Cobb, who is the waitress that has a troubled past, was uh, was abused, and um, is just very like sheepish. And I didn't want to really go that route with this so much, is that I didn't want it sheepish so much as maybe feeling out of place in the area, and it being a New England town, a small town, small minded per- people. And I'm playing Wilma as like like small minded you know, undereducated, uh, racist kind of character, I decided to really lean on the whole, like, you're not from around here vibe with it, where uh, Nettie is really moved into the town to get kind of a fresh start after the death of her husband, and there are rumors about that. People have looked her up, and it's blown up on social media around town that she may have murdered her husband or what oh, happened Also, it's there. Carol Baskin. Yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, she fed it to him to a tiger, <laughs> but I thought it would be really fun in Coen Brothers land to pl- have that played by Sofia Vergara. Ooh, good choice. Yeah. And she's, she's beautiful. There, there would be this whole like black widow kind of rumor going around about her. Cause she's, she's gorgeous and she's, you know, for that town exotic, mm-hmm. you know, she's not a white, so <laughs> it's, it's exciting and kind of taboo at the same time. And, uh, and that it can create a lot of animosity to like jealous racist women. So that's going to be what Wilma's going to be more like is just really like who the fuck does this woman think she is? You know, she doesn't belong here. You know, seeing like husbands like looking her up and down when they're at the restaurant, creating all this like animosity and jealousy that gets built upon with all the, the needful thinging that happens throughout the movie. And you gotta, in a Coen Brothers film, have Frances McDormand in there. Ah, yes. And if she does even a shadow of what she did in Three Billboards, as far as being like the, like, cursing, hard-living, just like, small-town asshole, but like, just lean in even harder and make her, like, not redeemable, make her just fucking evil, it would be a... I, I could see her doing a whole lot with that role. The only problem is she's hard as nails. She'd be too tough to even for even the devil. He'd be scared. He'd be scared. The devil is scared of Francis McDormand. That's absolutely true. And then we've got the little boy, the that got the Mickey Mantle baseball card. And then like that, I remember when I saw this as a, like a kid, a kid holding like a real gun to his head, and then it like fading out. And you don't know just how injured he got by trying to shoot himself in the friggin' head. That was jarring as a child. Yes. And uh, I, I do want some level of that happening. And you need a, a young actor that can really play tragic. They can play the like innocence lost kind of vibe on this. And this is a actor that is uh, just knocks it out of the park. Incredible actor from Honey Boy, Ford v. Ferrari. He was in The Quiet Place. Uh, Noah Jupe. He's if you've seen any of those movies, he especially Honey Boy, he delivers at such a level of like in- intelligence in his role that is far beyond his years. He's only like 11 or 12. I mean, he's a young kid and he's just delivering at a professional adult level of acting quality. So um, that, that would be the kind of standout. And with the Coen brothers with, uh, I forget the name of the actress from true grit. They're known for having that kind of uh, child actor in some of their films. Yes. So, uh, so that's my casting for my real take. Now we are getting to our real fun part here. I mean, this is all fun, but the uh, remix. And again, somebody please send in some kind of music thing that I can put in there instead of having to do that. Cause I feel like a dumb idiot the entire, every time. I love it. He's just like uh, Fred Durst in his heyday. It's wonderful. Just like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, looking for something to break. I think. Oh, and we're going to break this film. Oh, we are fully breaking. I'm ready this film. to break it. I am. Because your tech noir version was already kind of wild. I'm interested to see what you do for your fun take now. (laughs) Well, there seems to be a whole new genre of films that have emerged uh, of cage rage in which Nicolas Cage (laughs) has to destroy everything humanly possible. We've got Mandy. We've got mom and dad. Color out of shape. It's just like it just keeps keeps going with this sort of world of Nick Cage where uh, he's he's descending into madness in various places and i think small town maine and a deal with the devil would be an absolutely perfect place for the cage rage to come out and for him to have to save the day as sheriff alan pangborn in a quest against a smirking devil (laughs) and so for that i figured we'd cast john ham as gaunt 
The man has comedic timing. Oh, he sure. has chops and he can get under the skin. Um, Nicholas Cage, just direct him to do whatever it is that he's absolutely going to do. And of course, the best part of this is, is like, I don't have to change too much. Tim Heidecker can still be the town buffoon. Sure. Because we know he can definitely play that having seen his roles in things like Mr. America. And of course the Tim and Eric awesome show. Great job. Um, and I was struck, uh, the other day watching, uh, some of the old stars of Saturday night live lighted up in Hubie Halloween, which is way better than it should be. You know, I started that film, and I do not have the same opinion of it at this point. That's fair. Reasonable minds can disagree in everything. <laughs> I thought the supporting cast did a great job. Um, so it was delightful to see Maya Rudolph um, rolling through that. And sure. uh, I'd love to see her spar with another SNL alum like Kate McKinnon over small town beefs as ladies of the town. Okay. Nice. Uh, so you got you got them hanging out. Do you have a director in mind for this, or anyone who can harness that cage rage? It's challenging. Uh, or just make give Cage the chance to direct his yeah. own film, and then it could be about as like <laughs> manically cocaine bingey as humanly possible. <laughs> I don't think Nick Cage has directed anything. I don't think so either. So that would be interesting. It's time. Be like, hey, Stephen King, you wrote this during your coke binge. How about Nick Cage directs it during his? <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> Um, for mine, I decided to kind of go with, you know, there's this balance of humor and darkness that uh, was attempted in the original film that they kind of missed the note on the comedy. And I thought maybe going the total polar opposite direction and really nailing the comedy really well and maybe missing some of the like horror aspects of it from just it being too funny for it to be taken seriously as a horror film. And there was one movie that came to mind that kind of really hit that nail on the head for me. Uh, and that was uh, This Is The End. Oh, yes. Now, I at first wasn't sure who it was that directed This Is The End, and it turns out that it was actually a directing team of the writers of This Is The End. <laughs> it was the first directing um, that Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg had ever done. Oh, wow. And then they went on to do the interview and directed yep. that as well. Those are the only two films that they have directed up to this point, I believe. Uh, they've done some shorts and some uh, episodes of TV. They did some episodes of Preacher, for example. I'm sure they have or will be directing uh, episodes of The Boys as well. I think they did a couple Future Man episodes as well. But So they've got a decent amount of directing under their belt, and they've done that horror comedy kind of vibe before a little bit, and also playing with like Heaven and Hell a little bit. So I thought it'd be kind of fun to throw in that crew into Needful Things, and it kind of informs itself. You could probably guess some of the roles. You can throw that crew into almost any setup and it'll come out hilarious. Like, I'm interested, out of that whole crew, who do you think I would put as Leland Gaunt? Oh, that's a really good... Are we going to go with your favorite? Maybe. I mean, he, I, I do enjoy this actor very much, but um, who are you thinking? Oh, I was just thinking the one that you do all the fan art of. No, actually, I did not cast... I As much as I love him... When I'm doing my casting, oftentimes I begrudgingly avoid using him because I don't want that to get boring that I always bring up Jay Baruchel. Yeah, your love for him will never get boring. No, and but I don't want my listeners to be bored with how often I bring him up. So I don't always cast him when I possibly could. So he's actually not in this. Oh, that's so disappointing. I was hoping you would have him as the devil. No, but I could have him as one of the priests. That would work. That would work very well. You get him and then you get uh, uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Uh, how I Met Your Brother, uh, Jason Siegel. Jason Siegel yes. as the other as the preacher, and then you have them gangly fight each <laughs> other. But so uh, for Leland Gaunt, the best choice to play the devil in this kind of role is Danny Motherfucking McBride. Oh yeah, he's a fantastic devil already. Yeah, exactly. It's great. If you've seen his work on Vice Principals, the man can be mean as a snake and keep you laughing the whole time. And there's he is able to do like these tonal shifts from being like full-on, complete, unsufferable asshole to being delicate and dainty in the scene if need be. Uh, I've seen him do it in Righteous Gemstones a lot, which is, if you have not had the opportunity, it is, I think we binged it in just over a day because we it was impossible to stop watching. And I would love to see him as an antique store owner slash devil <laughs> and that tonal shift of him talking about like this is a late 16th century piece and getting into the, the like artistic nuances of the things in the shop and then completely turning it like a waitress that just went into the back of the house smiling and then turns on the cooks and starts rage screaming at them <laughs> for getting the orders wrong. 
is his total shift and is like, all right, listen up, motherfuckers. We're burning this place to the ground. It would be too much fun. And I mean, you know, Danny McBride would have so much fun playing literally the devil. Yeah. So uh, then we've got the sheriff. And of course, that's going to be Seth Rogen. <laughs> You've got to have Danny McBride versus Seth Rogen, sheriff versus the devil. Uh, and Seth Rogen is just like the kind of not fully respected sheriff of the town. Like he, people listen to him, but like begrudgingly and he, he's never really taken all that seriously. And he's got this girlfriend that like, he is trying to like get his shit together enough. So she'll agree to marry him is that whole vibe. And uh, I think it would be really a charming role for him to be this kind of like bumbling sheriff character. That's trying to stop literally Satan. (laughs) And you even build it up to be this, like I'm a small town cop. Really? It's, actual satan like this dude is worse than like saddam hussein and 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 osama bin laden like this is the dude they look up to come on now like what am i supposed to do (laughs) and have that total disconnection from it uh and then his girlfriend i wanted the like charming independent uh and wickedly funny as well uh and i decided to go with rashida jones because i absolutely adore her she's worked with some of this like in, in that realm of people, like she was in I Love You Man with Paul Rudd, um, who, of course, has been in a bunch of these movies as well. Uh, she's had interactions with all these folks. So, um, and also great comedic, um, what, what's the super weird cop show, uh, Angie Tribeca? I'm not familiar with this. Angie Tribeca, it's on like TBS or one oh. of those channels, and it's this incredibly weird cop show that she's on. It feels like a adult swim show. Oh, it's that it's that level sold. of weird. So it's it's worth a watch. Um, then we've got for Danforth Keaton, the uh, complete self-important uh, asshole in it. Of course, that's where you put James Franco. Yeah. <laughs> just and, and just let him go. Let him go as big as he wants for the character. It's just this like, do you know who the fuck I am kind of vibe the whole movie and just tossing shit, flipping shit. Um, like stealing money, like not, not really even really sad about it, except that he's like in trouble now, you know, just let him go full Franco with it. And then also just Seth Rogen being the guy that's like too nice for his own good. That has to clean up after this dude all the time with it's like, begrudging, like, dude, are you fucking 20 grand? Seriously, 20 fucking grand. Are you fucking kidding me right now? Jesus, dude, you're going to, you're going to end up in prison. Like not spend the weekend in prison prison like the like don't put it in my butt prison (laughs) it should be pointed out 20 grand was a lot of money in 1990 when this thing came out um it seems so charming now yeah 20 grand is like dude sell your car (laughs) (laughs) you'll be fine um then we've got Nettie Cobb the like soft-spoken kind of weird waitress and I couldn't think of anybody better than Kristen Schaal to be oh, yes. that role. She would be so much fun. And also she can get like psycho weirdo as well. Oh yeah. She creeped me out at, during every episode of flight of the Concord. Absolutely. And that's exactly what I was thinking of too. So just have her be able to do that switch. It would be perfect. And then um, to fight her in like a knockdown drag out death battle and just go huge in this version, you're getting huge things are on fire things are exploding like cows are being destroyed like i mean <laughs> just go fucking big as possible um with christian Shaw fighting aubrey plaza as wilma oh the fun. like hateful farmer chick that just you know just shitting on netty any chance that she gets and then finally brian rusk the uh the young boy that's involved in all this thing and you just make him this like basically little little vandal kid that's like spray painting up the town and like throwing rocks at, at people and just like total shitbag kid. Yeah. It's more fun if he's kind of a dick rather than like a wide eyed doughy innocent. Yeah. You make him just like this kid that's always starting shit. So like him getting into trouble is not a big surprise at all. So nobody even really turns like everybody just like expects it. So they're not even really taking anything seriously that he's saying. The sheriff is the only one that really starts like, this is more than just as normal stuff. You know, Um, I got Jacob Tremblay. To be in that, uh, you may know him from The Room and Wonder, but also he was in a film called Good Boys that was produced by Seth Rogen. And it's a fun one. It is a fun one. So, like, he's done the comedy role. He's done comedy roles that are not for kids. <laughs> so, uh, I th- and also familiar with Seth Rogen. I felt like there's a pretty natural uh, placement there for him. So, that's my, uh, my uh, cast list for my remix there. 
So we have done four versions of this film. And we have asked uh, listeners their opinion on what we should mash this up with. And last I checked, we had one from Herr Grutz of uh, Beautiful Disasters, uh, one, of, one of the co-hosts of uh, Beautiful Disasters, suggested that we mash it up with Twin Peaks. Ooh, that's awesome, because this is a story of small-town weirdness and things lurking under the surface. Exactly. Like, yeah, make your Sheriff Pangborn the outsider trying to get to the bottom of why this is happening in a small town. Exactly, and you just add a little bit of that Lynchian weirdness to it and then call it a day. Mm -hmm. I could see... Honestly, both storylines existing at the same time in Twin Peaks. It wouldn't have to be mutually exclusive of each other. Right. It would just add more weird shit happening, where it's almost borderline Indian, eerie Indiana level of just wackadoo <laughs> shit happening in this town. Like, okay, there's like teen being murdered. There's like secret cult stuff, maybe. I don't know what's going on. Also, the devil. Yeah, so it's pretty much True Blood, where like vampires aren't enough, so now there's also werewolves, and now there's also witches. And fairies, and all the- Oh yeah, there's fairies. Ad Lots adding in just stuff. fucking random shit. So um, I think that's very doable. Then from Katie from Nerdcropolis, and I don't remember a lot from this movie besides the basic plot, but Dante's Peak is <laughs> <laughs> a very weird choice and uh i i applaud you katie for suggesting dante's peak i mean i guess maybe she just wants the smoldering handsomeness of pierce brosnan as the devil or the sheriff okay i want to fucking shit on pierce brosnan for a second because he, how fucking dare he age as well as he has have you seen eurovision it's not fair have you seen eurovision yes. he is an Adonis in that movie. I mean, with the full, like almost white beard um, and like knocks that out of the park. Like he wears that beard very well. He looks better than I think he ever has looked. And he's an older gentleman now. Yep. How fucking dare he? So that's my, we're mad at you, Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> Fuck you, Pierce Brosnan. Piece Not welcome shit. here anymore. No, with your dreamy eyes. Fuck you. And your Irish lilt. Get out of here. With your firm hands. Probably good at massages, piece of shit. Uh, whispering lips. Uh, Dante's Peak is what we're talking about here. And basically, like, he's... Dante's Peak is a mountain that ends up being a volcano and yeah. then it explodes, I think, right? Yeah, and he has to save some kids who are, like, cut off or something, and there's, like, lava flows. And I seem to remember somebody running across a fire truck ladder and jumping over a lava flow at some point. Okay, so how do we I may be confusing this with Volcano with Tommy Lee Jones because they're almost the same damn movie, except one's in the wilderness and one explodes in downtown LA. And I think they were released within like a year of yeah, each other. Yeah, it was too. one of those it was like yeah. an Armageddon deep impact situation. Yeah. So uh Dante's Peak with needful things. I mean, you could have this town at the base of a mountain that has like seismic activity, and then you have I don't know, uh you have Danforth Keaton as like a local FEMA official that's been siphoning money from FEMA so they don't have any escape supplies so the sheriff has to like go to extra measures to try to save everybody from this exploding volcano that only happens after everything goes batshit crazy in the town the Do devil will give you anything your heart desires the catch the floor is now lava <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a game show on Netflix um, yeah I mean really it's just uh... That's a bad incorporation. Like, I, I kind of want to dig into this after the episode and try to come up with a better combination because that's literally just adding a volcano. Like, that's, it's not really meshing the two. I mean, what doesn't a volcano improve? It's kind of like dinosaurs or cyborgs. It makes everything better. I had a joke when I did stand-up years ago about ninjas that every movie is improved upon by having ninjas. Oh, in yeah. It. It, would, it would make so many things better. Yeah. I mean... I, I did a joke about Notting Hill back in the day that Notting Hill would be just a markedly better movie if, if after that line was like, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love. And then window smash, ninjas jump in, steal Julia Roberts, already better movie. I guarantee you, you wouldn't cry at the end of A Star is Born if instead of Bradley Cooper dying, like he was kidnapped by ninjas. Right. And, there, and then a big question mark at the end. <laughs> and you're like, oh, no. <laughs> Shaolin strike. What next? <laughs> So uh, Dante's Peak, uh, sorry, Katie, that we can't do more with this, but literally it's just needful things with a volcano, I think, is what we're doing here. Sometimes that's enough. Sometimes, sometimes. I think we might have one other option here as well. 
fire in the sky <laughs> from our friend uh, Red uh, suggested that. And uh, wow. So now this is getting into like American horror story territory of just adding in the weirdest shit. Yeah, just what will stick. And the answer is I don't think anything. <laughs> like, okay, but that brings up the question is like, is the devil the universal devil for all spe- species, even alien species? Or do they have their own like separate devil? Do they have like regions that the devils get like hired out to that they have to be in charge of? So are like the aliens not afraid of human devil because yeah. it's a different devil entirely? But can alien devil bring down their whole civilization? Or Who you knows? can have where the aliens start getting fucked up by human devil and alien devils like, dude, stay in your fucking lane. And then you have a devil fight between alien Gray's devil and uh, and human devil as they're like tearing the earth apart and there's just like gore and viscera everywhere. It's just humans and aliens alike are being completely just decimated by the utter destruction of these basically evil gods at odds with each other, breaking, breaking the world apart. Yeah. You could even do like, sort of like give, let Leland Gaunt make you a deal for what will take out the aliens. You can skip to the ending of signs to learn that the water kills. <laughs> That's a really bad uh, thing to trade in basically your soul for. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Imagine trading your soul for a used copy of the world or the, the world at war of with uh, Tom Cruise. Jeez. <laughs> war of the worlds. You're yeah, like, war of the worlds. Yeah, war of the worlds. Jesus. Ugh. Where it's like, oh, so we just have to wait for them to get a fucking cold. Cool. Thanks, <laughs> devil. That's a great. That's a big help. Just be patient. They're going to die. Jesus. Yeah. Just wait. All right, so those are the uh, the mashups that we're doing for this episode. Uh, hopefully that was up to our listeners' uh, appreciation there. Now we're going into the trailers, the last little bit that we have to do. So I'm definitely doing the uh, Seth, Seth Rogen uh, version of this. Which one do you think you're going to be doing? Uh, I'll do the first one. Okay. The, the other one is just like Nicolas Cage screaming, ah, yelling, jumping Yeah, you'll just down. be screaming for yeah. two minutes. So yeah, fair enough. Okay, let me get some music queued up. In a world... Where likes are currency, views are love, and everyone does it for the gram. Would you trade your soul for Bitcoin? She can make you bigger than Google, but the price to pay could leave you down and out in Silicon Valley with enough bad blood for a lifetime. Margot Robbie stars in Needful Things, Silicon Valley. Damn, that actually sounds like something I would watch, too. <laughs> Motherfucker. All right. Well, I'm not going to do anywhere near as good as that, but we're going we're gonna to see what we can do here with my uh, Seth Rogen version here. Here we go. Let me get the music. Sheriff Alan Pangborn is just a small-time sheriff in a lazy little New England town when one day... The cat, the devil comes a knocking. This summer, from the people that brought you the interview, and this is the end, is a new spin on a devilish story. Meet Leland Gaunt, a, a small, small-time devil in a big-time jo- job that doesn't make sense, played by Danny McBride, as he goes toe-to-toe with the sheriff who's protecting his girlfriend, Polly Chalmers, played by Rashida Jones. Watch, hit for hit, as Christian Shad and Aubrey Plaza go blow for blow at a battle that only one or none will survive. There's none, they both die. That's, I'm spoiling in the trailer. Watch as Brian Rusk comes to terms with, with the loss of his innocence and the loss of my interest in this trailer. This fall, summer, summer is what I said, this summer, needful things at the, that's at the end. This is the end, it's the, this is the end, but it's needful things too. <laughs> I just love that song so much. If I were a low grade pro wrestler, that would probably be my intro song. <laughs> It's such a, whenever I hear, that, that's called Hi-Fi Brutality is the one that I used uh, from uh, Audionautics is that uh, we use a lot of their music for the trailers. And 
whenever I hear that, immediately it goes to the voice from South Park with the Rob Schneider is <laughs> every single time. That's the first thing that I think of. Yeah, it makes me think like I should be watching Monster Jam right now and maybe getting up to get a soda and popcorn <laughs> right? while they try to get Bigfoot back on the track. Oh, that sounds lovely, actually, after a long day. Kicking back, relaxing <laughs> with a bowl of popcorn and some monster trucking. That sounds like a blast. So might be doing that after this episode, which is now in conclusion. Thank you so much, listeners, for joining us on this uh, voyage to Castle Rock uh, to destroy what was known as Needful Things originally i want to thank my guest mike for coming on and helping me on this journey thank you for having me it was delightful absolutely i know it was a long trek from down the street yeah (laughs) but i appreciate it and uh definitely thank you to audionautics for the use of most of the music that we use i think all the music we use today was all from audionautics and uh we'll find you next time for another spooky halloween episode of smack my pitch up you just got pitch smacked GUIPodcast.com My name is Amy Bogard. And I'm Mike the Hobbit. And we are the hosts of Deeply Upsetting, where we use our expertise to answer your most upsetting hypothetical quandaries, such as what non-wigged animal deserves wings? And what body part deserves a secret mouth? Which cryptid is the worst roommate? These questions and more that plague you will be answered on Deeply Upsetting, available anywhere you get your podcasts and at GUIPodcast.com. Coming straight from the mouths of madness, I'm Lowdown. I'm F.U. Hunter. Do you love horror? We fucking do. So this is a podcast dedicated to all things in cinematic horror. We're talking movies, television, composers, special effects artists. We're going to fucking cover it. So if you love horror, embrace the madness. Hey guys, Scotty Big Daddy Preston here. That's right, the geek father asking you to join me here every other week with friends and family of the GUI Network as we go through all the trials and tribulations of being a geeky parent. So remember, join us or cry.